Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 5, Episode 8, Things That Go Bang in the Night. Mary, what happened this week? Donna insists that Griffin is terrific, and they are fine. But then, Ray shows up at Keg House with a truck full of pumpkins and complains that Donna hasn't introduced him to all of her college friends. Ray doesn't know the problem with that is Donna's friends already know her other boyfriend, Griffin, and she doesn't want them to get confused. <laughs> Griffin invites Ray's little cousin to the keg Halloween party for almost nine-year-olds. Ray thanks Griffin for climbing down from his pedestal and talking to him. Griffin quotes the French Revolution and tells Gray to spread the... Ray. I cannot read. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Griffin quotes the French Revolution and tells Ray to spread the news that Keg is not a brotherhood of elitists. When she's finished hiding from both Griffin and Ray at the kids' Halloween party, Donna watches Ray play his guitar for the children. Griffin tells Donna that he thinks Ray has a crush on her while speaking in a stupid accent. Ray leaves abruptly, telling Donna he kind of expected her sort of boyfriend to sort of not be anymore. He asks her to pick... Wait, he asks to pick her up that night, but she has that big keg party to go to, the big kid one. Ray leaves and tells Donna to have fun with her friends. Kelly tells Donna she should probably tell Griffin she wants to wait until marriage to have sex. Conveniently, Griffin appears, ready for a conversation. Donna confesses that she went out with Ray a couple times, and when Griffin insults him again, Donna tells him to go to hell and leaves the party. Griffin's like, make sure you tell your mom why we broke up. Ray pulls up in his truck a moment later, and Donna climbs in, thankful for a way out of this situation. They park and sit on the back of Ray's truck with a lovely view of the city. Donna tells Ray she won't have sex until marriage. He's like, that's kind of weird, but okay. All that matters is he likes her. I feel like my eyes rolled so far back into my head in this whole thing. Like, I don't understand I think they wanted what they wanted to do was make it a clear choice right like because at first for all intents and purposes Griffin seemed like a great guy because and I think there was probably a miss here in the continuity but when we first really see Donna and Griffin hanging out I thought it was understood that not only was Donna a virgin and she wanted to stay that way, but so was Griffin. Yeah, I wrote that down. I was like, you know, she says that she hasn't told him this, but like the first time they met, she was like, I'm a good Catholic girl. And so like it wasn't in so many words, mm -hmm. but like he wanted to take her like to a secondary location. And she was like, no, no, I don't do that. Right. So there was more than one scenario where Donna told Griffin, no, we are not doing it, making it, excuse me. <laughs> so the big bad sex issue that comes up between the two of them just doesn't hit the same way because I thought it was already understood. Now, if suddenly Griffin was upset about that after she's told him a couple of times that I at least understand, you know, like he could just be like, okay, this isn't what I wanted and this isn't what I expected and this isn't worth it to me right mm -hmm. but that's not really the case here and yeah we basically just see a whole thing of Griffin going from 
nice guy in the, when we first meet him. Kind of not really there. Then when we see him again, real sleazy. And now just typical frat boy sleazy who then tries to like, what's the word I'm looking for? But just project it back onto Donna, right? Yes, exactly. And like the idea that she forgave him after what happened last time and mm-hmm. he still thinks that like there is not an obvious answer. Like the most obvious answer is usually the right one, right? right. If she – you whisked her away to Catalina Island, you booked a hotel room, romantic dinner. He was real sleazy about it, so, you know, ignore that. And she still said, no, we're not having a sleepover. Take me home. And then she said, I need to tell you the reason we're not having sex why would you jump to you're sleeping with someone else? Clearly. That was kind of my thing too. Cause I forgot she even said that, but yeah, she's, she doesn't even get to say like, she says there's not another guy, but what she means is there's not another guy I'm sleeping with, but there is another guy, but that doesn't mean I can't still date you. She was definitely still trying to play the field, which by all means, Donna, you're in college, do what you want. You've never had the conversation with either of them about being exclusive. So by all means. <laughs> and but I yeah, it was just agree. Yeah, it just it, it was like such a weird thing that if they even did have a conversation in off screensville, it didn't like make sense in the episode. There's just a lot of like missteps and I just wonder if they were just trying to be like we don't really want to deal with this anymore. Let's l- let Donna choose. <laughs> yeah, and I guess it's one of those other things, you know, the show does like parallels between the storylines. You've got Valerie, who is knowingly leading Steve on and cheating with him with Dylan. And then you've got Donna, who just wants to date both guys and has been pretty upfront with Griffin about all this stuff. And I guess they're like trying to make some parallels with it because even at the very beginning, you know, I think it's... uh Kelly says that Brandon isn't coming to the party because Val isn't leaving. Mm -hmm. And then Griffin's like, well, that's what happens when girls date two guys. They can knife one in the back. Yeah. So clearly that means that Griffin is a one woman kind of guy, which good on him. If that's, you know, that means he's going to be loyal, but that's not the current situation. And because he ended up saying that and Donna was there, she definitely like, gets nervous because she hasn't told him really about Ray. Um, She's really only told Ray that she sort of has a boyfriend. So this whole thing seemingly could blow up in her face. Yeah. And I mean, it, it does very soon. I mean, you know, Ray shows up with the pumpkins and his little cousin, Tommy, Donna introduces him by yelling to everyone saying, this is Ray doesn't count. Not even a little bit. And then presumably, like, Ray and Tommy drop off the pumpkins, they go home, put on their costumes, and come right back for the party right. where it blows up in Donna's face. Exactly. It's TV, right? But it is just written so perfectly that, like, Ray and Tommy come back, they gravitate towards the only frat brother they know who just happens to be Griffin, and Ray, not knowing anything, is like, do you know where Donna is? Right. And this was like after he saw Griffin kiss Donna on the cheek at the kid party. So now Ray is like suspicious of something going on. And then when he asked for Donna, Griffin thinks something suspicious is going on. So 
it was kind of a little too perfect that they all kind of found out like at this party and stuff but it was just like I think what was weird for me was that somewhere along the lines, because Ray saw Griffin kiss her, he, like, is unreachable, right? Like, Donna spends, like, the whole rest of the day trying to get in contact with him, and she can't until he happens to show up for then Donna and Griffin to get in a fight, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, that's the thing that I'm still really iffy about. Like, this show has made it very clear Donna is going to choose Ray over Griffin. You know, Griffin slut shames her, which mm-hmm. is wrong on any level. And also, she's not a slut. How mm-hmm. dare you? She's an angel on earth. If ever I saw one. But then it's not like Ray is all that great. Like, I still haven't, like, fallen for Ray. And maybe, you know, something happens to him that'll make me change my mind. But, like, he smashed her pumpkins when she bailed on plans, but she did call him to try and cancel. So like, sorry, it's the nineties. Mm-hmm. And then when she, when he sees Griffin kiss her on the cheek, he like storms out is unreachable all day. And then at that night when they're like, you know, looking at the stars together and she tells him that she's a virgin and she's planning on staying that way. He's like, well, that's kind of weird. Yeah. Not she's 18. Of, right, right. And so to your point, like not a ton of it's not that Ray needs to be redeemed or anything at this point because he hasn't I mean, yeah, outside of acting like a teenager, mm-hmm. he hasn't really done anything too wrong. Like at least Griffin has been trying to like pressure her into sleeping with him, you know, didn't fill her in on date plans, sleepover plans, that sort of thing. And then yeah, just like absolutely slut shames her and says some really really gross things to her. Ray still, though, just hasn't really done anything. Like, sure, he took her to his pumpkin patch. And sure, she got to meet a little baby goat. And sure, he drives her around. But weirdly, all of these sound like euphemisms for something else. (laughs) There's just nothing that's like boyfriend material, this guy. You know what else? Ray brought pumpkins again. Three episodes in a row. Ray just has pumpkins. No wonder Griffin kept calling him Mr. Pumpkinhead. <laughs> Which, like, so apt. But I was yeah. like, this is the best you could come up with. They could have just had more clever names, but I guess they're trying to show, like, these guys are just, like, 19 or whatever. Yeah. They can't think of anything clever. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> also, don't don't call Ray Pumpkinhead while he's singing songs to the kids. Like, he's being a cool guy, and this is not the time for you to be, like, making fun of him to your girlfriend. Right. And, like, he <laughs> he kind of reminded me of Johnny Karate <laughs> in Parks and Rec, just, like, entertaining the children while everybody else does whatever they want like can you imagine just having to wrangle that many kids there's like 20 to 30 kids right there in one spot and he somehow got all the kids attention with the worm song or whatever it was and yeah I don't know it's not very it's not ever very attractive when somebody just like blatantly makes fun of somebody to somebody but especially when it comes to you know Ray actually doing something to help out with the party. It's, that's just poor taste. 
Yeah. And like it's also poor taste to Donna. Yeah. Like she is not one who is ever going to make fun of people. I feel like you should know that even if you've only been dating a few weeks, you should know how sweet and adorable she is. Yeah. I agree with that. I did love that she was dressed basically like the Chiquita banana lady. See, I was trying to place where she, like what she was from. And yeah, that's it. Yeah. What is she later? Is she just a cat? So I couldn't tell because, yeah, she was wearing black, but her ears seemed like too long to be a cat's ears, but too short to be a bunny's ears. Mm -hmm. And then I just got stuck in the, I'm a mouse. Duh. Yeah. I did too. (laughs) So like, yeah, I was watching her and I was like, well, she's not a mouse, but could she be? (laughs) I have no idea. I I do think I saw a tail though. So that's why I was thinking cat. I'd but did you it. notice when Ray and Donna went to the little spot where they were? That was Donna, I mean, Brenda and Dylan's makeout spot. Oh, was it? Mm-hmm. Oh. I also That's love okay. how <laughs> Donna was, like, trying to talk to him about something serious. And Ray was like, let me lay down a track for that. Like, I was halfway expecting him to, like, narrate the whole thing. Like, be, like, a cowboy narrator or something. I'm just going to be like, well, what do you have to talk to me about? Ling, ling, ling. <laughs> like, <laughs> Teach her to sing the blues real quick. <laughs> I was just thinking it's Daryl and Michael when they're driving from Rhode Island. Oh, my gosh. Oh, well, I would actually – I would have loved that so much. <laughs> My girl's got to talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so cute. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't love that he's like, well, that's kind of weird. Yeah. But all that matters is seeing you again. Like, why did you have to say that's weird? Just be like, okay. That's it. All you have to say is okay. (laughs) Yeah. No, this this show has like the weirdest lines. Like Donna wanting to stay a virgin until she's married is weird and is going to cause drama in her relationships. But like everybody else in this friend group who actively cheats on other people rather than like just not defining relationships is just like, I can't wait till that blows up in your face. Right. They're like, yeah, go ahead, Donna, keep lying or keep, you know, doing what you're doing. It'll blow up. In the meanwhile, like Kelly cheated on her best friend with her boy, her well, Dylan, on whatever. And, you know, Brandon was sleeping with a professor and like all these other very scandalous things. And all Donna wants to do is casually date two boys. Yeah. And like casually, she is not at the point that they should, you know, really be considering having sex in their relationship. Like, I feel like if you haven't already had sex, then it's a bigger thing in the relationship and you do need to talk about it. Right. So you can't just assume like, oh, it's been three dates. Obviously, we're having sex. You're 18. Get over yourself. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But so it appears as though Donna has chosen and her choice is Ray Pruitt. Um, So presumably, we will get more of that relationship and perhaps even more of Griffin's bruised ego because as he so rudely mentioned make sure you tell your mother why you picked him or whatever he did say so that makes me think he's gonna come back yeah I will be very interested to see what Felice has to say about all of this Mm -hmm. because I know what I think and I am pretty positive Felice is gonna be on the polar opposite end of things (laughs) for sure 
Yeah. That's Donna. So, Mary, what else happened this week? Claire invites David to a UFO lecture. She's so into it, even when she hears about the reports of abductions and breeding experiments. Claire is defo down to fuck an alien. She asks David if he wants to come too. He'll defo tag along, but he does not take the alien stuff as seriously as Claire. They stop at a diner in the desert, conveniently run by an alien who sells videotapes of his spaceship in action for the low price of $39.95. Maps are less expensive. (laughs) David, for some reason, is surprised to find out that Claire, who has brought him into the desert to look for UFOs, really believes in UFOs. Later, while UFO gazing, David spots a green light on the rocky face of a mountain. They run toward it, sure that they have found what they came for, despite the fact that it isn't flying. Claire is really worried the aliens won't like her. She doesn't need to, though, because it's a satellite dish. Claire tells David she likes his sticky hands and kisses him teeth first. David shows Claire some of... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) David shows Claire some of the many condoms he bought in high school. Claire is pleased, and they bang, missing the UFO that whooshes by above them. I definitely got, was it the season three Christmas episode vibes when the UFO went by? I was like, every now and then, this show just like sprinkles in some weirdness. Oh, yeah. You have to, I feel like, if you got 32 episodes a season. And I I do feel like they were just like, all right, Claire and David are doing it. What do we do for the rest of the time? Right. We definitely don't want to show them actually doing it. Let's bring in an alien. Oh, my gosh. I do love that, like, yeah, he shows up to this lecture and they're talking and you just hear, like, after they talk about the breeding experience, Claire just goes, sex with aliens. Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) Like... I could be down with that. <laughs> you know, this whole thing, or at least the lecture, especially when they mentioned the breeding experiments and stuff, reminded me of that um, SNL skit, the alien abduction. Have you guys seen it? With I don't Ryan, know that Ryan I have. Gosling was the host and Kate McKinnon's in it, Eddie Bryant's. Oh my God. Well, when I see you guys next time, I know what I'm playing for you guys because it is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. But basically, all I kept thinking of was that skit and this professor just like talking about all these things so casually about the aliens and just other people people being like, wait, what? <laughs> like, like, can you imagine actually hearing that and thinking, huh, I want to go seek that out. <laughs> and I do feel like Claire went to seek it out. And then when she couldn't get aliens, David was like. <laughs> I mean, you came to the desert for sex anyway. Might as well do it. <laughs> like, David is 100% second choice yeah. to Martians. But I actually kind of like them together. Like, they weirdly work for me. So what is their ship name? Clavid or Dare? Dare. Dare. <laughs> It'll be Clavid if they do something I don't like. Yeah. This definitely felt like a dare episode, Um, but I actually do, like, they vibe, I think, so Mm -hmm. I'm not mad about it. Yeah, I mean, that's the, like, I don't 
totally hate David right now. Unclear has definitely warmed up to me. And I really like David with her much mm-hmm. more than I ever liked him and Donna together because he was always just grumpy. He was grumpy. He was a little hostile. And he was just like real impatient. And with Claire, he doesn't seem to – like he would never do this with Donna. Like no. he would think it's like silly or stupid that Donna was even into it and would just go listen to his music. Yeah, but he, like, actually stays pretty into this for a while. Like, when they go to that little, like, diner and go in, you know, he's making jokes of, like, don't eat anything with mayonnaise in it. Mm -hmm. But then they see the tiny table and he's like, oh, do you get kids in here? And they're like, no. And he's like, aliens? (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. I do love how that guy was just, like, a little salesman for – his little, you know, fake planet or whatever. That was a nice, funny touch. Oh, yeah. And I guess speaking of innuendos, when they asked the guy for tips on UFOs and he's like, do you want to see mine? I was like, oh, no. Sir, no. <laughs> you shut your mouth. Right. Oh, God. No, it was like – it was really cute. Like I felt very attacked. When Kelly said that David and Claire were the first people that she's met who like strawberry ice cream. I, you know, that meme that from the last dance with Michael Jordan, where he's like, <laughs> and I took that personally, like that is me here because strawberry ice cream is my favorite ice cream. It's so good. <laughs> like rude, ma'am. And then I I do love like they're in the desert later and David, you know, still doesn't really believe the aliens are around. He's like, you want some ice cream? Yeah, he's, he's just, just eating, eating it. A tub of ice cream. <laughs> Which, oh, man. to be fair, if someone like handed me a gallon of strawberry ice cream and was like, "This will melt before yeah. you get home," I'd be like, "Yeah, I'll do it." Yeah, might as well. Yeah, but while he's you know eating this and they're talking, like Claire gets really bummed and you know tells him like, "I I really believe in this stuff and I really wanted to see aliens." And yeah, that's when he sees the flashing green light and they run over. And I love it. He's like, do you want me to bring the camera? She's like, yes, bring the camera and the ice cream. (laughs) I got to get both. And then I also love, this is also why I love Claire. Like she's chaotic. And this is why I still think she's chaotic good. Because even amidst this craziness, she's literally like, hey, Hello, Mr. You know, like alien. Wait, do they like to be called aliens? I don't want to offend them. Like she's concerned about calling them the right name. And I love that for her. No, she's really fun. Yes. When she is not solely honed in on like forcing her way onto Brandon. Mm -hmm. I love her. Oh, yeah. She's just fun. She's a good time. There was one like amidst all the craziness and, and silliness there was one point she made, and I was like, yo, that is interesting. When she says that people are so quick to believe that we're not the only living being in the universe, but yet then you attach a name to it, like UFOs, people think you're crazy, right? Like, it's almost like they, because they, like, people can't fathom what's beyond our Earth and what's beyond our universe, they don't want to conceptualize it so much that they put assign something to it right they want to keep it so high level that and just say oh i don't understand it but i don't think we're alone because otherwise people just think you're crazy it's like i was like yeah that makes a lot of sense and it's something i didn't even think about can you imagine claire arnold in the year 2021 when they release all the ufo stuff oh my gosh 
She would have been one of the ones like on the front lines charging Area 51. <laughs> oh my god, she would have been. <laughs> Sweet Claire. I love that journey for her. I do too. Mm. Not super excited about the sex in the desert just because sand and bugs sand. and mm -hmm. scorpions and cacti. But well, you know what? Yeah, go ahead. No, I got nothing. <laughs> well, I guess like the one thing I did like though was that they very much seem on the same page regardless of what's going on. Like, yeah, David was skeptical, but he was always on board for going on this trip. And then all of a sudden he starts getting like spooked out a little bit after the green thing, even though it was just a satellite dish because he's like, oh, I thought I felt something. And she's like, um, that's me trying to touch you. Like... <laughs> Like, stop freaking out. I'm trying. This is how sex happens. <laughs> You've done this before. Yeah. So it, okay. it does seem like they're like on the same page. And then, yeah, we get like the the Christmas episode whoosh of the whatever it was. Oh, poor Claire. And like, you missed the UFO to have sex with David. Yep. Like, hey, but she sees something in him, though. And you know what? Maybe they mesh really well together, but I don't know. Something about David, I'm like, that can't be good. <laughs> I just, that dude drank meth and orange juice. I just, I, I can't get on board with it. But, you know, it's not me. It's Claire. It's Dare. Dare. Truth or dare? Well, Mary... Andrea and Jesse dress Hannah as a bunny for Halloween, and that's cute. Andrea and Jesse also share their plans to celebrate Dia de los Muertos. Andrea worries Jesse's family traditions will emotionally harm their infant. Jesse storms away after Andrea continually raises her concerns about spending the night in a cemetery. Anyway, they go to the cemetery, and Andrea's like, It's so beautiful, I can't believe I was worried. But then a relative gives Hannah a cross and mentions her first communion, setting Andrea back to worry mode. She tells Jesse Hannah is Jewish and can't be Catholic too. Jesse's like, she already is. Also, we can't figure out how all of this is going to work like right this second. Andrea wonders when they will figure it all out. This episode was a bad look for Andrea. God, it really was. Like, I don't... So... My dad's Jewish. My mom was Catholic. I was raised Catholic. And then at like 13, they were like, we probably should have given you the option. Do you want to switch? <laughs> I was like, I don't think that's how that works. And I'm not learning Hebrew at 13. Right. A lot of that effort. so interesting. I didn't even realize. Like, I think I knew that because obviously you went to a Catholic school as well. But like, I never put together that you're both Jewish and Christian. That's so interesting. Which or like Catholic. I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, six of one, half dozen of the other kind of thing right. in my mind. Like, I Burn know it's not. Hand. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, for people that are actually religious, like, I'm not practicing anything, but I'm respectful of my family and what they do. And, like, I will go, you know, when things happen. Like, in all technicality, in, like, Jewish law, I guess it is, it's like the religion passes from the mother. So Andrea is not wrong that Hannah is Jewish, but like she is being so rude 
about Jesse and his family this whole time. And she's like airing their dirty laundry in front of everyone. I think that was like, I mean, both parts are very wrong for kind of two different reasons. But like one of the things that really really bothered me was just how vocal she was. Like long story short, I've, I've read a book on like, marriage in general and one of the things it talks about is like how you argue and how you um communicate with each other while you're mad and things like that and one of the things that um I read about was basically how not to argue right and and part of it was credit being overly critical being defensive um being what was the other word it was like insulting and then there's a fourth one and I don't remember which is probably a bad thing but beyond the point and the fact that Andrea was willing to almost like humiliate that might be too strong of a word but almost like humiliate Jesse in front of their friends over something that they disagree on not that Jesse is wrong about nor is he right about it just is has nothing to do with Jesse himself like that's very concerning to me for their marriage yeah and like Honestly, if I was Jesse, I would have been running from the hills from mm-hmm. like scene one because they, you know, come over to get this costume from Jim and Cindy, which I guess was like literally just so that they can have this one scene because she could have gotten a costume from anyone anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cindy's uterus is like aching <laughs> in this whole up. She's like, oh my God, I can't wait till we have one of our own. And like nobody bats an eye. No, Brandon's like, uh, you did? It was me. Hello. Right? Like, <laughs> mommy? Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, they – I don't remember exactly how they get on the topic, but, like, Jesse says he wants to have Hannah celebrate Day of the Dead with him and his family, and Jim just goes, Day of the Dead? Yeah. Like, he's condescending of it, too. He's like, yeah. Yeah. They're, like, very much othering Jesse and being like, hey, did we remind you Jesse's last name is Vasquez and he's brown? Mm-hmm. It was like, so uncomfortable. Yeah. And then, like, Andrea makes comments of, like, oh, we're going to have to sit on a grave all night and, like, blah, 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 while Jesse's trying to be, like, it's a really cool tradition. And, like, it's honor and it is family. And, like, if you listened for five seconds, you would know. But then they've clearly already had this argument before. And Jesse's like, well, I had to sit through Yom Kippur. And let me tell you how that's not fun. And to be fair, he's right. But he did it. Right. And and I think the only reason he even made that comment was because he felt like he had to defend himself because they were talking so badly about the Day of the Dead ceremony that they were going to be doing and the memorial at the at the cemetery. So he felt like he had to take up for himself by defending himself. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, this is not the way to argue. Like there is a right way to do things and there's a wrong way to do things. This is definitely the wrong way. And like, it just makes me so mad. And they, Andrea was pregnant for nine months and they didn't think about these things. Like, hey, I'm Catholic and you're Jewish. Like, let's talk about how we're going to raise our kid. Let's talk about how we're going to handle holidays with our families. Because, like, it seems to me that both of them come from very religious families. So it should not have surprised Andrea that when they go to the cemetery that night, that I think it's his grandma or his aunt or someone, like, puts a crucifix on baby Hannah. Like, that should not have surprised her, but they should have in the last nine months plus 
talked about this and been like, you know, if this is going to happen, we're going to like very gently be like, oh, thank you. We'll take that. Right. And I think for me, kind of along that same lines of the crucifix situation, I don't know enough about the Jewish faith and Catholic faith because I was I grew up I was raised in the Baptist church which I don't love but twas what it was and so I did not realize and maybe it is or isn't true but I did not realize that a crucifix was such a um what's the word I'm looking for I don't have a good word but like such a big deal you know because obviously I know the symbol of Judaism is a star of David um but to be honest I didn't even really th- think and maybe this is just me again me being ignorant i didn't even think the crucifix was that big a deal in catholicism because it wait no i'm I'm, mi- I'm mixing it up i'm mixing it up now i'm confusing myself forget i just said that i just didn't realize it was such a big deal for a person of jewish faith to see a crucifix i didn't i didn't realize that that would be such a huge problem and i think for a lot of people it's not it's more how intensely Andrea feels about this thing right now mm. which like again should have come up a lot sooner because this baby is around the age for either a Jewish naming ceremony or a baptism like right. you really need to be having these conversations as a conversation and not a fight well and with that said I don't remember if they told us what Hannah's middle name is but if they were that um religious and concerned about religion I'm a little bit more su- – I'm more surprised that Hannah doesn't have more of a religious name. Like, I think Hannah might be in the Bible, mm-hmm. but, I, like, I'm surprised it wasn't something – that like, that wasn't an argument because I'm pretty sure Andrea just named her. Well, and I, the thing is, Hannah is in the Bible and the Old Testament is still part of the Catholic Bible too, so, like, yeah, it, it's a pretty all-encompassing name to choose. Um. But, like, the other side of I, – it's weird because my parents were not super religious on either side. So they really just wanted me to, like, be able to embrace these things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I brought up the naming and the baptism because I had both. Like, they just did that. They were like, you could pick the religion that you want to do. We're going to expose you to both and, like, let you embrace, you know, the two sides. Yeah. They. You know, threw me into Catholic school pretty early. So that kind of said it of like, this is the easy one. I have to go there every day. But they, you know, gave me the options. So interesting. No. And like, even after going to the ceremony or going to the cemetery and seeing like, it's not like Andrea is not going to go up in flames by going into a Catholic cemetery. Also, other thing they have to consider because Jewish cemeteries have rules. Oh. Yeah. But like Andrea is clearly uncomfortable with the crucifix. They get home that night and uh, I don't even want to say they talk about it. They wa- She wants to argue about it mm-hmm. because she's being really pushy about it. And she's saying like she is Jewish. She can't be Jewish and Catholic and Jesse's like, well, I don't know. We'll figure this out. And Andrea's like, when are we going to figure this out? And to be fair, I'm thinking the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like they have time because obviously she's not 
she doesn't have abstract thinking yet, but like you said, there are certain things within both of those religions that require certain um certain processes or ceremonies or special things like I guess that's kind of the, such a funny thing about the quote unquote older religions or older denominations because if you think about it, Judaism and Catholicism are like two of the oldest forms of religion, right? And then at some point, here comes Protestantism and all of the denominations within that. And I'm just thinking about like all the rules you just said that are not only stated in the biblical text, but then also just kind of like known rules. And I'm like, I grew up on Baptist. We had to wear like dresses to church on Sunday and like I could get baptized whenever I wanted to as soon as I accepted Jesus into my heart. Like those were the rules. I couldn't drink. That was like, I don't even know if that was just my mom's rule or a Baptist <laughs> rule <laughs> because I think it depends on what Baptist church you go to. <laughs> we had good Southern food at, at like Sunday lunch. Like these are such weird rules. And then thinking about in terms of for Hannah, actual literal rules that are in the sacred texts and i'm like mom should i have worn the green dress or the blue dress today like i can't wear jeans what <laughs> it just there there is nothing about having parents of different religions that says that like hannah cannot experience both of them like right. I mean, it, it seems to me that Andrea is very in touch with her Jewish heritage. I mean, you know, her grandmother talks about surviving the Holocaust. Like, mm -hmm. I it feels to me that they made her Jewish heritage very important to her. And so I feel like based on the way rules go and the idea of, like, your mother passes down her religion, which also feels weird. It's, like, not in your DNA. Mm. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like they can have a compromise of like, okay, you know, we'll raise her Jewish. We will still go to all of my family events. Like literally, you are not going to burst into flame going into a cemetery for Day of the Dead. You right. can still do it. You can still be respectful of other people's religions rather than going to a frat house in the middle of the day and being like, oh, my God, I don't know how my baby is going to last in a cemetery all night to everyone. Yeah. Like the same way she would act if you guys were just sitting on your porch. I right. She's, <laughs> she's a baby. Put her in the little Bjorn. She's going to go to sleep. Right. It's just outside. It's fine. <laughs> she's already outside. Yeah, she's outside right now, Andrea. <laughs> yeah. No. It, it just became a thing of like. There's some rockiness in the Zuckerman Vasquez marriage, so get ready for bumps. Yeah, I mean, color me shocked that two 18-year-olds that got married because they were pregnant and then already had to go through a premature birth and didn't talk about religion or your college jobs are arguing. Huh. Like, I know. <laughs> go figure. Who yeah. would have guessed? Sex with aliens. Huh. Huh. <laughs> um, but anyway. 
Val was going to go back to Buffalo, but she can't because her mom is checking herself into the hospital, and that's why Brandon is missing Halloween. I guess it's also kinda why the Walshes gather in the kitchen to agree as a family to stay away from Dylan from now on. Brandon talks to Steve and agrees that Dylan is just out of their lives full write-off. That's fucked, Brandon. Damn. But also, Steve should forgive Val because she feels like everybody hates her now. Steve isn't that sympathetic at first, so Brandon discloses personal details related to Val's mom's mental health. That's fucked, Brandon. Damn. Anyway, Steve tells Brandon Val can come to the party, but never expect him to forgive Dylan. Brandon's like, yeah, no, that's totally fine. Anyway, Val shows up to the keg kids' party and hangs out with Steve, who invites her to the big kids' party later that night. Three guesses where Val goes instead. Steve lets Brandon know that Val's late to the party and that he knows she's with Dylan. Speaking of Dylan, throughout all of this, he has been trying to figure out how to run the pee pad without Steve, missing appointments with Nat about it, instead drinking and gambling on pool games, talking to strange men and doing their drugs, finding that gun he bought that time in a drawer full of trash, cleaning it, scaring Val with it before telling her to take her sadness and go away, brandishing it at children, and shooting it inside his house. Valerie sneaks back into the Walshes that night, and Brandon is waiting up for her in a dark room. He's angry at her for blowing the second chance he secured for her with everyone. She's like, maybe I didn't want it. Also, you should really help Dylan. He needs it. Brandon says he would help if Dylan would ask. Valerie says he's literally at rock bottom, fucked up in a messy house, cleaning his gun. She tells Brandon he reminds her of her father in his last days. Brandon leaves to go see Dylan pretty much right away. Uh, the trick-or-treaters are back at Dylan's house, but he won't answer the door. They egg his house and he chases them off with a gun. Super safe. Then he shoots the paper skeleton draped over one of his chairs with all of the bullets that he has in that gun. Brandon confronts Dylan and takes the gun away. Dylan screams at Brandon to get out, and Brandon does, and then he comes back and sits next to the shot-up skeleton and watches Dylan sleep. Whew. Yeah, this show packs a punch sometimes. It sure does. And like, I'll just say right off the bat, I think Luke Perry has really convinced me that Dylan is at rock bottom. Oh, absolutely. Like, he, I mean, I have not had any doubt in my mind that he is a good actor, but, like, this episode was just astonishing. Like, mm -hmm. so good. I think it also tells me that Jason Priestley, like, we've had fun watching his episodes before, and I have no idea if he's he was directing stuff around this. I didn't look at, like, his IMDb to see what else he had directed. But, like, he can direct. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that, like, especially during the Dylan scenes and the Valerie scenes, he he picked out some really good um, some really good moments from the actors, both verbally and non-verbally. Um, because I think I mentioned last episode kind of the range of uh, – facial expressions that Valerie goes through when she's being good girl and when she's being bad girl. And this is the first episode where there's no difference. It's just her face and she is reacting genuinely. Um, and whether or not that was Tiffany Amber Thiessen's uh, choice or Jason Priestley's directing, 
I think it was a great decision because again, like it might be a subtle thing, but I just noticed you no longer, there's no longer a line between bad girl Val and good girl Val or bad girl Val trying to be good girl Val or whatever. She just is. And I think we were building up to that, right? Like when the juxtaposition of those two types of character come together and we got it in this episode and I was really happy that it was the one that Jason Priestley directed. Yeah. So I I looked it up while you were talking. Nine or two and oh was the first thing he ever directed. So this is the fourth episode of television that Jason Priestley ever directed. And so it was she came in through the bathroom window Wasn't and me. did it my way. The time has come today. And then this. Like he jumped right into the fire. <laughs> yeah. With both feet. Cause yeah, I mean, even the beginning when like you see Val packing up her stuff and it has to like pan up and away from the boxes and everything. And she's like, are you going to help me? Mm-hmm. Like even just like that opening was like really good. I also really like the fact that you couldn't tell at first if he wasn't helping her because he was mad at her for what he did or because he didn't want her to leave. And I was a little shocked to find out that he was like, I'm not going to help you because you're being too hard on yourself. I was like, wait, Hold on. Brandon thinks this? <laughs> okay, but I did love that. I don't remember the exact quote, but he was like, no matter how bad you screw up, you'll always get a second chance with Jim and Cindy. And don't tell them I told you this, but you'll also get a third, fourth, and a fifth. It was like the first moment of self-awareness that Brandon had that he never gets punished and neither will anyone else. <laughs> Except Dylan. Right, right, right. Uh, and... Yeah, I mean, like, Val is new to this friend group, so she's like, what are you talking about? Everyone hates me, and Brandon's just like, no, they don't. Yeah, just Give it chill. a week. Yeah, it's fine. It'll all be good. Trust me. Brenda cheated on, or Kelly cheated on Brenda and Dylan, and they still were best friends. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm dating her after she <laughs> yeah. cheated on my sister's boyfriend. Yeah. Like, no. And, you know, I, so I guess... Jim and Cindy have been filled in on what's happened, and I don't know exactly what their opinion is because when we go downstairs and Cindy's talking to her mom, and her mom is saying, like, no, I'm checking myself into a hospital. Like, the other kids are fine. Val can't come home. Like, it, I can't tell if Cindy was calling her to be like, Val's coming home, or just, like, calling to chat. Or if Val's mom called her and it was just weird timing. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And then Val makes this realization that like her family has completely fallen apart and her mom didn't even tell her about it. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, where is she going to go except staying in Brenda's life that she tried to take? Right. And, and I think too, it's another chink in the armor that she's been putting up, right? Like the only person she's been legitimately real with, at this point is Dylan and we all know the Dylan situation right now he's very unstable um so he can't really handle and help her process that trauma so again I think that's why it finally came to a head that she had to take off that mask a little bit and be real with herself because I do feel like when she was talking to Jim and Cindy about Um, like her mom didn't even want to talk to her she's upset she can't go home like blah 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 
she was being genuine here. This wasn't her trying to act good or her being bad. This was like legit how Valerie felt. Um, and I thought that was important to see that because we've seen this like facade for so long. Um, well, I say so long, it's been eight episodes, but for a while. And so now we actually see like real raw emotion from her, which is important for us to see, I think. Yeah. I mean, this is really the first time we've seen her, you know, have these conversations with anybody because she's been pretending with everyone, even Dylan, up until like last episode. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she keeps trying to come up with places to go. She's got an aunt in Tucson. Jim and Cindy are like, no, you're going to stay here. And then Jim is just like, and it's my fault that we didn't keep you away from Dylan, but you need to stay away now. And like, I feel like she's truly seeing the relationship between the Walshes and Dylan. Like Jim has been mad before, but he didn't have the whole story. He has the whole story now. And he's even like, yeah, that kid's at rock bottom, going broke, has no family, et cetera, et cetera. Stay away from him. It's just so wild to me that Jim is a father, knows the entire Dylan situation from backwards to forwards, and finally has that missing piece that he just found out last episode. And yet he's still like, leave him. He's a goner. He's treated like a kid in a family that just told their parents some sort of news that would just break the family, right? Like, he's not treated like a child here. He's treated like he's a 35-year-old adult who can handle himself. And it just baffles me because if Jim could just put himself in Dylan's parents' shoes or pretend that this was happening to Brandon or Brenda... Wouldn't he move mountains for them? Wouldn't he do everything he could to, like, make sure he was okay? I, it's just baffling to me that he knows Dylan. He knows Dylan. And yet he's like, screw him. He got himself into this mess. Yeah. He and Dylan run so hot and cold with each other. I'm like... Your kid disappoints you all the time. You guys yell at each other all the time just because you make up in one episode and it takes you and Dylan five episodes. Like, I don't mm -hmm. get it. And Cindy, like, she has seen Jim and Dylan fight. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, she didn't, like, step in by going to see Dylan, but she wrote in that letter a couple yeah. seasons ago. Like, I just – I don't understand, especially when her uterus is, like – dying for a, a baby and she sees like a kid who needs help that she's not like feeling those same emotions of like I need to help him yeah it almost seems like from Cindy's perspective she's just going along with what Jim says at this point she had yeah. her opinion at one point she interfered when she could and now she is just having to stick by her man or whatever which is super annoying because I feel like Cindy always had a soft spot for Dylan mm-hmm but yeah, no, she's Switzerland where she's just like, I'm not in this. Yep. And yeah, I mean, like literally we see Dylan at the peach pit next trying to keep the pee pad going without Steve. And that's like, no, that guy ran it. It was his thing. I'm not comfortable letting you in be in charge of it, especially because Dylan looks like ass Yeah. in this moment. And they get in a 
fight. Mm-hmm. They, like, legit yell at each other. And, like, it breaks my heart. Like, even Nat is not on Dylan's side anymore. And I don't really blame, like, the direction that the writers are taking because there's probably a breaking point that we're getting close to, that sort of thing. It just makes me really sad that all these adults are abandoning him. And that's something that has always happened to Dylan. His own parents abandoned him. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, Nat makes these comments about how, like, Dylan doesn't care. And Dylan's like, I mortgaged my house. I'll be homeless in two months if we don't turn something around. How can you say I don't care? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, everyone expects Dylan to, like, be a full-grown adult because he has put on that facade in the past. But, like, everyone needs somebody at some point. Exactly. Like, humans cannot survive on their own. Yep. And, like, literally everyone abandons him. I mean, Brandon calls Dylan a total write-off. Yeah. Literally, like, to Steve, who's already mad at him, and then the entire time Brandon is basically, like, trying to get Steve to forgive Valerie and Steve says it twice that he doesn't want to or will never forgive Dylan and Brandon's like no argument here like Dylan didn't do anything like and even if he knew about Valerie Valerie did the exact same thing that he did exactly like I mean they're trying to say the differences is that Dylan and Steve have a history and they're supposedly friends. When have they ever been friends? No, we constantly see them being like, I can't stand that guy. It happened in another Jason Priestley directed episode. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like Brandon just starts telling Steve all of Val's family stuff without her permission. Very rude. Like Mary put it perfectly. That's fucked. Yeah. And, and like now you like you. For Steve to forgive Valerie, he's going to feel some sort of, like, obligation. Yeah. No, Brandon's trying to guilt him into forgiving Valerie when, like, I feel like it could be, like, Dylan is an alcoholic. His dad blew up in a car explosion. His mom abandoned him to live in Hawaii. His uh, sister was you know, taken off to Brazil after her mother scammed him out of all of her money. Mm -hmm. Like, he is also a tragic case, and they're just ignoring that and being like, but Valerie. Right, exactly. And yeah, if Steve is supposed to have a history with him and supposed to have been friends, like, that, this, this shouldn't be the thing. Friendship is just such a loose word. In this episode. Friendship is a loose word on this show. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, you know, Dylan, every time we see him, like, he's either alone or, like, pushing people away from him. We find him back at his house trying to open a bottle of wine while talking to somebody on the phone who has called him at 11 o'clock at night. No idea who that could be. Yeah, I don't know. Looking for a check. Yeah, like, he clearly owes somebody money. And, you know, he's drunkenly scrambling. You do not pick up the phone drunk. Like, no, you should not have done this. But then while he's like scrambling to find whatever these people are looking for, he like throws one of the drawers out and stumbles upon this gun. 
that he got back when he got carjacked and then told everyone that he got rid of. Mm-hmm. And he has this weird look on his face, like he's suddenly enthralled by this gun again, and oh, this is a good idea. And unfortunately, we the next time we see him is like, kids are, first of all, rudely pounding on the door, trying to trick-or-treat in broad daylight. Like, he looks like he's passed out on the couch. Y'all, get over it. It's like two pieces of candy. Exactly. And luckily, I guess, Valerie shows up right at that time, and he opens the door. She gives them $5 to leave, basically. Dylan is, like, aggressively telling her, like, well, now he's going to go, like, those kids are going to tell their friends, and this is going to be the money house, and he's broke. And then he just aggressively starts making out with her and trying to take her dress off. Oh, yeah, because in between this was when he was supposed to meet Nat, but instead he's at the pool hall hustling, and that guy was just like, well, this isn't the greatest tie, and then gives him something, which I'm assuming is coke, just because, like, he's acting erratic, and frankly, we already had meth. Right, and he's acting, like, bouncy, (laughs) for lack of a better term. Yeah. Like, I don't know if we're just not supposed to know what it is yet or infer or whatever. But, like, yeah, he's clearly on something. Valerie is so uncomfortable because he's high. He's yelling at her. He's, like, pawing at her. And then she sees the gun and reminds him that her father just died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. hmm And... He is not sensitive about it in any way, shape, or form. Oh, my God. This was awful for Dylan Um, because we already knew he didn't really care about Valerie. Not in the way that she cared about him, but we didn't know that he would stoop this low. And now we know that apparently when under the influence of drugs, he is very, very rude and disrespectful. Yeah, I mean, you know, I would even venture to say that, like, to an extent, he does care about Valerie the way we kind of expect him to, like, the way she expects him to. But because he's so hurt, because everyone that he loves leaves him, he needs to hurt her so that he Mm -hmm. feels in control of it. And then, yeah, when he is on drugs, he is mean. It's awful. And... I mean, yeah, that's that's basically her, you know, final, like, boiling point. She tries to sneak back into the Walsh's house, and Brandon is waiting up for her because Steve calls and tells him that she bailed on the party, and he's waiting for her in the dark, which is a very, like, dad thing to do and was so weird. So weird. And, like, he yells – he's like – I begged everyone to give you a second chance. She's like, I didn't ask you to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, then, and then she says, like, you're willing to let me start over 20 times if I have to. What did Dylan do that was so horrible that you have to shut him out? Yeah. She says, like, how could you turn your back on him? He needs you. And Brandon's like, well, he needs to ask for help. And Valerie's like, what the hell do you think he's been doing right like open your eyes brandon like what do you think all this is yeah but you know of course brandon 
needs to be pushed to the right answer. So she tells him about the gun and he immediately is like, okay, yes, he needs my help. I'm going right now and tells her that she can't come with. Right. Which And again, I mean, yeah. And yeah, she shouldn't go at this point. Yeah. She doesn't need to. Um, but also, again, this is the real Valerie here, right? This is like genuine concern from her, genuine emotion from her to Brandon. Um, it's just so bananas that it took a girl from Buffalo who has no knowledge or just very surface knowledge of all of this history between these kids to realize what asking for help looks like. Yeah, I, I think there's something very interesting to her outside perspective. And it pisses me off that she's the one that pushed Brandon into this. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure we're supposed to be like, White Knight Brandon coming to save Dylan. When I'm like, you should have been here the second you found out he lost his money. Like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if it was because, you know, you were too busy getting ready for the next episode or if it was because the writers just didn't want you there until, like, absolute rock bottom has a gun, is shooting off bullets in his own house. Like, I don't know, but it makes me mad that it took this long. I think what's crazy to me is that, like, they let it get this long without knowing the situation. Like, the fact that he came back – from i forget where he was but uh baja um, yeah baja the fact that he came home and no offense to luke perry looked like he did and acted like he did and was basically like dropped out of school like all of these other things first and nobody was like i mean people just assumed he was upset about brenda yeah no he wasn't with brenda And even if he was upset about Brenda or Kelly or whoever, like, he and Brandon have a history together of, like, taking care of each other when they fall off the wagon. Like, when Brandon got his DUI, Dylan took him to AA. When Dylan was drinking on the camping trip, Brandon came to talk to him. Like, why is this time different? That's kind of where I was at. It's like everyone just assumed he was upset about a girl and was blowing his money to blow his money. And it's like, why didn't anybody, like, insist on staying with him longer? Yeah. Intervene a lot earlier than this. And then even, like, when Brandon shows up, Dylan gets mad at him. And he's like, well, it took me two minutes to wake you up. Like, I'm very concerned about you. And, like, they start yelling at each other. And Brandon starts saying things and like Dylan is doing anything to hurt him being like, you're the most coddled person I have ever known. And Brandon's like, well, it's not about me. And And then Dylan's like, it ain't never is, Brandon. Well, and Dylan unfortunately gives us the Brenda mention of (laughs) saying like, she had to leave the country to get away from you. Like he is doing anything in his power to push everyone away from him. So that he can just, like, be in this dark place. And, like, Brandon, how did you not see this before? I know. How did not, like, no one saw it. That's kind of, like, where I'm at. It's like, I know we want drama. I know this is a drama-filled show. But why? Why this? Why can't we just have more weird desert alien sex? (laughs) (laughs) And I think the thing is, like, 
this is a drama. Like, this is a drama-filled show. And it doesn't surprise me at all that Dylan fell off the wagon. But, like, I think this is probably the downside of 30-episode seasons where if you only had 22 episodes, Dylan may have been down in the dumps for, like, a month. Mm-hmm. Not halfway through the semester. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, you know, he throws out his line, may the bridges I burn light the way. And yep. then – Brandon tries to take his gun. He's like, I'm going to call the cops on you. And Brandon's like, okay, fine. Like, Here's my license plate number. <laughs> so when he said that, I thought he meant like his license number, like his driver's license. And I was like, that's not long enough. And also, how do you remember that? <laughs> right? Also, weren't there letters? Yeah, there were. But yeah, basically the episode ends here with them being mad at each other, Brandon storming out, but then he does come back in. Like, he rushes back in all of a sudden, almost like, you know, he had that second thought of, like, wait a minute, I can't make the same mistake again. And at this point, Dylan's already passed out, and which is also a problem. But Brandon decides to kind of take, I guess, stock of the situation and stay with Dylan. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is kind of a keeping an eye on him to make sure he doesn't die overnight. Mm-hmm. And then when he wakes up tomorrow morning, they will be having a very serious sober discussion yeah for sure like I kind of would really love to see like you know hours pass Brandon is sure that Dylan is not gonna die in his sleep or he like turns his head so at least like you know if something happens like he'll be fine for a few minutes and then like Brandon starts cleaning up his house and like organizing things and hopefully getting rid of the booze and the gun being like, Get that gun out of here, man. Yeah, like, look, dude, we need to talk about this. You tried – you threatened to shoot children. Asshole children. But they don't deserve a gun pointed at them. A loaded gun. He was a – yeah, that was scary if I'm honest. Right. Right, and like – Again, I I have no problem with the show being super dramatic and, like, making Dylan hit this rock bottom. It just – it makes me so upset that nobody saw it. And Valerie has to be like, you guys are insane. This is not okay. You cannot turn a blind eye to this. Not to, like, make light of a situation, but it's like, this would never happen in Buffalo. You know, like, it just – These damn avocado heads. That's what I'm saying, man. I mean, it does kind of show, like, how self-centered everybody else is, right? Yeah. I mean, like, basically everybody else is at a Halloween party. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. the news that Dylan got scammed out of all of his money and his drinking and, like, all of this stuff happened to Valerie doesn't phase a single one of them. This makes me wonder if, like, Kelly actually knows. Because she has to know because she knows why – Brandon didn't go to the party because Val isn't leaving, but they thought Val was leaving because she was cheating on Steve with Dylan. Like, she knows. I just wonder if it's part of Kelly Kelly's personality to want to, like, not say I told you so, but confirm what she originally thought because Dylan made her believe that she was wrong. Oh, I could totally buy that. Like, I do think that Kelly – when all of this is said and done and like Dylan is back on the wagon and you know things are a little more back to normal i do think there's going to be a line where kelly's just like well remember that time that dylan got scammed out of all of his money and i said they were going to do that and nobody mm-hmm. believed me i feel very confident that's going to happen so do i 
in the meantime. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think we're there yet. Do you have anything else to say about this episode? No, not other than my quote of the week. So, quote of the week. Ooh, this is tough. Okay. I'm going to go with my gut here. My two options. One thing about Jim and Cindy is no matter how bad you screw up, you always get a second chance because that's just the most obvious. (laughs) Yeah. And then sex with aliens. Huh. Okay. Mary, what you got? Um, Okay. So my first quote is from the UFO lecturer. Is it identified? Does it fly? (laughs) Um, Just Brandon saying, come on, bro, to Steve, because I enjoyed it. And then they, like, repeated it, like, five times. It was wonderful. Yeah, Yeah, because he was like, that's your best argument? Come on, bro. (laughs) Fair. Mm, Your hands are sticky, Claire. (laughs) No. <laughs> Gross. Um, I know Kevin and Suzanne ripped you off, man, but you got to get over it, Brandon. Oh, my God. Because the audacity. Right? I know and they the- ripped you off and stole your entire money. Can't even say a sentence right. I'm so mad about it. But just get over it, man. Oh. Meanwhile, he's like dead to me. I don't even care about Dylan. <laughs> and then obviously, may the bridge as I burn light the way. Most likely the most famous quote from this entire show. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Well, I loved all those quotes for many different reasons. Um, I have two. One is a serious one and one is a not so serious one. The first, the not so serious one is alien sex. Huh. Yep. Had to be that. Like, it, there was no other option. <laughs> I just want to, like, take a victory lap every time I'm right. You should. You should. No, that one was just hilarious. And now, anytime anybody says anything, like, in that way, I'm just going to repeat it Repeat it and just be like, huh, alien sex. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, then my serious one, and just, again, because I'm just going to drive home this point that I had that I, I just really loved seeing legit authentic Valerie instead of the many faces of Valerie when she said you're willing to let me start over 20 times if I have to what did Dylan do that's so horrible you have to shut him out because I genuinely feel like she's she's the the megaphone for Dylan at this point right like she's like I've been horrible (laughs) you guys don't even know how horrible I've been but yet you're willing to turn over you know like a new leaf no matter how many times I do something bad, but like Dylan is one of your homies, like one of your dudes. And you're just like, he's out, you know? And and I just, I, I don't know. I just felt that. I felt that pretty good. No, I completely agree. I mean, most of these people have known Dylan since kindergarten. Brandon's known him for f- almost five years at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, over four years. I don't want to say almost five. We're only on season five, episode eight, but still. Still. Yeah. <sighs> Mary. So I had a moment of the week this week. Um, and it was again in the UFO lecture because I had a favorite thing that happened in this episode. <laughs> um, so 
at the beginning, he's holding up like a newspaper or like a tabloid or something. And I paused it and I wrote down what it said on it. <laughs> so <laughs> the headline was aliens advise Clinton on healthcare. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then the smaller text said, space visitor tells Prez how to get programmed through Congress. <laughs> What? Yeah. <laughs> Is this like Star Wars, like the Galactic Senate? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's hilarious. So I enjoyed that very much, but also um, honorable mention to Griffin quoting um, the French Revolution to Ray. <laughs> <laughs> My God. While wearing a matador costume. <laughs> Oh, this Griffin. episode. Also, I really loved that Steve wore his like gladiator costume again. Yep. And I also love that he told Valerie to wear something green and then he didn't wear something green to the party that night. <laughs> I forgot what he was in after that. Was he in like a Zorro costume? What was he? I think. I can't remember, but I know I Griffin know. changed out of his costume and just had a shirt had with a, a pumpkin on it. <laughs> yeah, because, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, like, Kelly went from, like, basically a princess or even a fairy godmother, because she tells Brian at one point she's going to grant him a wish, to a nurse. Donna goes from the Chiquita Banana Lady to a cat. And Steve went from a gladiator to, and I don't remember what it was. I don't remember. I just love that. Donna's daytime outfit was like tits out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm at a children's party. I'm just going to like barely tie these things in. Yeah. And like the really, really low rise bottoms. Like, I know. It wasn't even 2002 yet. I know. Ugh. God. Well, what's next week? I feel like I can guess what next week is going to be. Well, yes, kids, you guessed it. Next week is Season 5, Episode 9, Intervention. So here's the question. Do you think the entire episode is going to be about the intervention, or do you think they're going to do something like one of these weird parallels again where, like, we've got an intervention for Dylan, but then also, like, Jim doing important tax work? Or (laughs) Jim doing important tax work. Or what if it's like the weird parallel thing where it's Dylan going through intervention and something with Donna and like maybe her mom intervening in who she picked? Mm. I don't know. That might be too on the nose. I do like it though. I don't know. We'll see though. Yeah, we'll find out next week. So until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Back2Podcast. Yeah, and make sure to send us over some emails, any of your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, any of your behind-the-scenes stuff, or honestly, just your opinions. We really like those and and like to know what you think about anything we say or anything that happens in the show. Um, send that over in an email if you so choose at Back2Podcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, share, like, subscribe, all those different things. Uh, if you leave us a review, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. All of those things really help us to get seen and, like, you know, boost us, help us build a community. Like, it's just really helpful for us. So 
We'd really appreciate it. So from all of us at Back to Podcast, I'm a blinking green light on a satellite. I'm Mr. Pumpkinhead. And I would like to show you my little goat. Bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) See ya.